Anyway, are you ready to hear my awesome intro? Oh, I've got one for you. Oh, have you? Yes. What? Go on. With, with, on no, with absolutely no build-up, you best start believing in podcast, Mister Brown. You're in one. Are you gonna bark all day? This is a tasty burger. I am just a figment of your imagination. Here's Johnny. You are a sad, strange little man. These guys do that. Don't fail me again. Oh, hey, mateys. Ye be listening to the Popcorn Bucket Podcast with your cold captains, Ben and Rob. This week, we be sailing on the good ship franchise fatigue as we tackle the Pitch Perfect trilogy. The Bellas be my favorite gaggle of wenches. <laughs> I just be yanking your anchor. We are obviously nattering about the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. You best start believing in pirate podcasts. You're in one. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've wrecked my voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, was, that was good. I'm, I'm sorry I uh, spoiled it. I did a bit of a bend there. <laughs> oh, I put everything I had into that. <laughs> well, that was the high watermark. Oh, oh, please, no more. <laughs> I'm sick of pirates now. So we've done the intro. The intro is nailed. So, Rob, do you want to do you want to do a gentle kind of intro, like you know? Okay, this week, as Ben has subtly mentioned, we are looking at the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, which currently runs from five films, which started in 2003, and the most recent one was released in 2017. Yeah, Pirates of the Caribbean. This is our second time trying to record this. It is. Yeah, we didn't we didn't get any of our actual thoughts down this uh, last time, so if we seem a little bit more tense, a little bit more kind of, you know, on edge, that's why. We want to talk about the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, if that isn't already abundantly clear. From the episode title and Ben's spot-on pirate impression. I thought I lost it at some moments during that, but... Uh, no, 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 you definitely got it, whatever it is. I think especially, especially the sort of first three are, uh, you know, important to me in a lot of ways. Uh, it, um, the first film was the uh, second film I owned on DVD. Hooray for physical media. Yeah, yeah, hooray for physical media. Yeah, I believe, I I remember actually going to buy it from Woolworths. There's a blast from the past for all of you. And being surprised, because I didn't see it in the cinema, but I'd heard great things. And I think I even remember talking to you about it, Rob, in school. Uh, the you know those halcyon days. So yeah, it's 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 been around for a while, as have we. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so let's just let's just talk about the first one, and then we'll we'll get on to you know sequels. Let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. Okay, so the first film is Pirates of the Caribbean: Colon, <laughs> The Curse of the Black Pearl, released in two thousand and three. Uh, the plot concerns blacksmith Will Turner, who teams up with eccentric pirate Captain Jack Sparrow to save his love, the governor's daughter, from Jack's former pirate allies, who are now undead. It was directed by Gore Verbinski and written by Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio. It stars Orlando Bloom as Will Turner, Kiara Nani as Elizabeth Swan, Johnny Depp as Captain Jack Sparrow, and Jeffrey Rush as Captain Barbosa. The music was by Klaus Badlet, uh, with Hans Zimmer as the music producer. Yeah, well, it, this... 
I mean, I don't think we're going to shock each other by saying that this movie is so, so good. I love this film. Yeah, I do as well. I, I sort of forgot, because I think, um, I guess, not wanting to kind of spoil the ultimate ranking, but this is one of those films that I think is almost sullied by its legacy. If they yeah. only made this one film, you'd watch and think, oh, why didn't they make any more of those? It was, it was brilliant. If it was a one-off, I think you mentioned it before, like The Matrix, that that kind of, um, yeah, if that was a standalone film, it would be, I think, remembered more fondly than it is. Yeah, yeah. I think The Matrix got away with it slightly a little bit more because it was inf- so influential. I think Pirates of the Caribbean, I think a lot of people grew up with it being a series and and as such may, you know, it it is kind of diminishing returns to a certain thing but everything like you go back to it now and it feels just as fresh as it ever did the it's a, it's the, a very fun film it is it's so much fun and and everything just seems to just work it's just it it's such a kind of confident film apparently you know back in the day michael eisner didn't want it made because Disney were going through a thing of, of basing films on their attractions at Walt Disney World. and Yeah, because there's a Haunted Mansion film, although that came out. That came out later. later. No, yeah. no, the one you haven't heard of is Country Bears. Uh, and there's a reason you haven't heard of it. It's because it bombed through the floor. It was quite an expensive bomb. It, they just had a bunch of guys in bear suits, I think. And they're a band. I don't know. Okay. But it didn't do very well, and uh, and you know the bean counters at Disney, they tend to look at these things and and say rather than that was a wretched film that no one in their right mind would want to see, they see it as oh it was based on a ride therefore all films based on rides must be a terrible idea. And it's the same it's the same with the the whole pirate genre. I mean one of the biggest sort of box office flops was Cutthroat Island starring Gina Davis. And, uh, you know, so people hadn't done pirate things because they just assumed that sort of pirate films were cursed, I guess. Um, The Muppet Treasure Island was was good. Yeah, but again, the Muppets are kind of in their own thing. The Muppet Treasure Island is really good. And you got Tim Curry, who is in a career made of uh, big performances and swinging for the fences. He's especially notable in that one. He he really goes for it, so yeah. So the the whole thing it had a bunch of stuff against it. It had been in development hell for ages. You know they just it it was gonna get cancelled, and apparently uh, studio execs saw Johnny Depp's performance, and they didn't like what they saw. Yes, they were initially unsure of the portrayal. And yes, wanted him to sort of tone it down. Yes, was he drunk? Was he gay? Apparently, those are the those are the two questions that they uh, they raised, and you know, so it had all this stuff against it. Now, fair enough, okay. You had uh, you had Gore Verbinski, who was already a big director. I think he directed the remake of The Ring at that point, and and you had Jerry Bruckheimer. But yeah, it just wasn't it wasn't meant to work, and it did, and it still does. And you know, good stories never go out of fashion. And and I I was kind of surprised because I hadn't seen it for a while. Yeah, I was kind of surprised how well it stands up. It's still great. 
it's, it's a still a fantastic movie. And it's, yeah. You know, and it's, it, over, it's over two hours long, but it doesn't feel like it. Not at all. And you've always got, oh, there's that bit of dialogue coming up. Yeah. There's this, there's that yeah, fight very, coming up. It's a very quotable film. Yeah, well, I, I think... I think that's part of it is is the script is witty and it it I kind of see it that there are a lot of things uh that it's like a metronome there are setups and payoffs and you don't always need these things for a satisfying movie but you know you kind of do as well and and so there are things like uh oh will can throw the sword really well and it gets stuck in stuff so he stops Jack Sparrow escaping in the first thing, and then he stops him hanging at the very end. Mm, yes, you've got you've got the whole through line with uh, Jack's pistol with the one shot. You know, you've got you've got all these different elements that come into it, and it's a really well balanced script. It's really really well done. It's so well, and they couldn't repeat it really, <laughs> but it it's one of those things. I think it was just. All those years in development hell, I think it was just refined. You know, it was just like a, just a rock that's sort of dragged by the tide, and it just kind of loses some of its kind of rough edges and becomes a nice polished sort of pebble. Well, we said that about um, Deadpool, but the first Deadpool film took about ten years or so, or so uh, to actually bring to the screen, and the second one took two years. Yeah. So obviously, you've had you know a lot longer to sort of refine it. Also, when the first one came out, I guess there wasn't the scrutiny on it because, as you said, there wasn't any expectation. Um, pirate films weren't doing hadn't done well for years. You said uh, films based on rides weren't doing well. No. Um, so I guess there, there was no there wasn't the expectation of that happening for the subsequent ones because it did sort of come out of nowhere really. And that yeah. performance, um, Johnny Depp's performance, he was nominated for an Oscar and a BAFTA for it. I know it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Um, also, I think genuinely one of the best character entrances of all time. Yes, I was going to mention these throughout uh, th- th- that th- his that first film where he's standing on the crow's nest as it's, and you think he's going to be on some like magnificent pirate ship, and then it's like a little leaking thing that sinks as he gets to the dock. It, yeah, it's one of the best character entrances. It's definitely it was his best entrance in, in the five films. But. Yeah, well, it's perfect characterization as well. It's it's you know maintaining dignity and and coolness while things are going wrong, and like it was the plan all along. You know, it's brilliant. It's a bold choice. It's a risky choice that Dev took, but it definitely paid off. And it was, oh, it paid off know, hugely. It, it, it is an iconic performance, and it's a, a performance he's kind of not. I, I wouldn't say oh, that's the only thing he's done since, but is there some? The, definitely been a lot of elements of Jack Sparrow in Sweeney Todd in um, Charlie and Chocolate Factory and Fantastic Beast films yeah yeah for sure well he's just been he's just now cast as the sort of the weirdo with the big performance you know that tends to be what he's pigeonholed as but you know it's it's easy to see why if you're just basing off the first movie it's easy to see why it's it's a hell of a performance and uh, and ties the film together because you know you've got Kieran Knightley and Orlando Bloom and they're fine Knightley more than Bloom. Also, um, I, obviously, watching this first film, I got really invested in their romance story, and I sort of felt like a teenager. I really hope they get together. <laughs> I was really rooting for them at the end. 
but I think I think that's what this film does well. You root for these characters. They're they're really well done. Like, and it's not just Will and Elizabeth. You've got got Norrington. Yes, uh, by Jack Davenport. Jack Davenport, uh, you know, he's, fantastic, he's that kind of fantastic comedic actor. Um, um, but he's it, so good as Norrington. That sort of um, stoic, uh, dutiful uh, role. I think he's brilliant. Yeah, and and you you brute for him as well because you know that he's he's bound by the rules, but he, he's he's trying to do the right thing. You you even even Barbosa's crew, you've root for them less so because they are murdering scumbags uh, well, i think there's always there's um i can't remember the names but the the two comic relief characters mackenzie crook and uh pintel and Rigetti. that's not, um i think they're the sympathetic ones and you've got their sort of equivalent for, for the uh, uh for the soldiers yeah yeah quite possibly but i i i think i think their whole thing i think even barbosa despite being a, a mutinous cur and and all that wanting to be human again after being cursed is is not the worst crime no well they, they they've got the pirate treasure they've got the gold they've got more gold than they could want yeah and so their ultimate treasure is to be human again and it's yes. quite a tragic uh, quite, tra- tra- quite a tragic backstory but you know they they found this the, the cursed gold of cortez yeah it is, and it is, it is quite tragic, and and I think, I think that's the thing. It gives you characters to invest in, and even even the kind of more incidental ones, like like Governor Swan, for instance. Yes, Jonathan Price. You know, they they've all got little storylines going through. You know, we're not just talking about the A or B story; we're talking about kind of the L M story. You know. Yeah when it comes to all these characters. So it, it does a really, really good job of balancing all that. So, yeah, so that, that, that is definitely a thing. I'm just, what case? Okay, Cause I was, I was about to be quite harsh about Kira Knightley and Orlando Bloom. What's your take on them in the first movie? If we just look at the first movie, yeah. um, <clears throat> watching it now with, uh, I was nearly 20 years old, this film, but, um, oh, God. W- with kind of, I don't want to say progress, but I, th- I think in this film, Kara Knightley isn't given that much to do. I mean, she's given a few good lines, like clearly in London they've learned not to breathe and you like paying, try wearing a corset. Yeah. So, um, but I, I, she isn't really given that much to do. She's captured and then I think captured again and she's sort of traded around as a, um, she's going to marry Norrington or she's going to marry Will. Um, she's not really got that much agency, I don't think. Certainly not as much as the male characters. I um, I don't know. I mean, she does she does get a bit. She she engineers her own rescue from the island. Yeah, that's true. Um, but in, and, compa- in comparison to later in the later films. Oh, definitely. Yeah, in the later too. films, she gets more of a kind of thing. But I think I think sort of kind of the point isn't isn't the corset kind of like a metaphor that she's been constrained by expectations of her as a woman at the time governor's daughter etc she can't breathe and so then you know it's cut off by a pirate yes well that, i'm just that, i'm just I'm, I'm sorry i didn't realize just, i was dropping absolute you're just science reading, you're just reading your uh, media studies essays <laughs> i'm not i didn't i didn't even write that down i'm just winging it that's how brilliant i am at metaphor 
no, I, I, I like them in this film. I think this is the film I probably like them the most. Yes. Um, again, not wanting to spoil my opinions for, for later on. I As think I said, everyone knows where it's going. It's just, it's just how we get there is uh, the... Uh, um, it, it, it be the journey, not the destination. <laughs> I've got to start doing that because it's hurting my throat. Keep doing it. Do, do it a lot. And then... and then blow out my voice completely and then it's yeah. just the Rob show. Yeah. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, I think I think that I, I like Will's entrance uh, when he's waiting uh, with the sword. Uh, to, to present to Governor Swan, and he breaks the candle stick off the wall and sort of throws it away really awkwardly, which is something I would do. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I must admit that that is not a thing. I don't know if you'd do that, probably. But uh, no, it's a nice, it's just a nice little character moment, isn't it? It's yeah. Just a nice um, kind of touch. I think I think he's very earnest. I, I, I definitely buy his sort of honourable character, and that he, you know, he's, he's absolutely dedicated to Elizabeth and. Um, will stop at nothing to get her back. He, he is this kind of, uh, I've read somewhere that he, he sort of brought the Errol Flynn to the, uh, to the, to the film. Yeah, I could see that. Um, so he, he is this, you know, he is the straight man. I think what works with this film and why it works so well is that as brilliant as, um, Joan Depp is Jack Sparrow, Jack Sparrow shouldn't be the main character. He's supposed to be this whirlwind that turns up and all these things going on around and he affects it and then leaves and affects the next thing. But the plot is still isn't necessarily him. He's the B plot. He's not the A plot. The A plot is Elizabeth and Will. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they are the straight men, as yeah. it were, to to the kind of... Well, I saw someone, I wish I could credit them because it, it really kind of uh, summed up my kind of thoughts. I saw some commenter saying about the sort of pirate sequels and... and, and putting Captain Jack as the sort of main focus was like doing a Shrek film where Donkey is the main character. Or the Puss in Boots film. Well, at least at least they go a different way with the Puss in Boots movie. I like the Puss in Boots movie. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to fight you on that one. But I wouldn't watch a Donkey movie. I mean, would you? Uh, no, because he's in the Shrek films anyway. He's quite heavy. Like, okay, like cool. <laughs> Jack, no, but like Jack Sparrow is in, in the Paris Caribbean films, he's the main feature of it to make it only about him, like uh, the, the friend spin off Joey. Yeah, well, it just you can't you can't be wacky and do the sort of emotional heavy lifting required for a satisfying arc, you can't have that yeah. sort of and especially it. It's something uh, that studios and everything constantly misinterpret. They see that sort of breakout performance and they engineer it around that. And I think Captain Jack is is better as as the uh, yeah the B plot. Uh, he's a main character, no doubt. Yes. About oh yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but he isn't the top billing one. No, no. And uh, they sort of misunderstood that when it came to uh, sequels. But uh, but yeah, definitely. And I think the reason why that sort of a plot works is is because you have because yeah, it's it's a fairly. I mean, you know, discounting the undead pirates and everything, it's a fairly standard sort of romance kind of thing. You know, yes. kind of uh, two people of different classes. You know, kind of oh, they go on an adventure and they grow closer together, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, 
but I, yeah, then you've got the elements like the zombie pirates and Captain Jack Sparrow and, you know, this and that. And, and it just, it all comes together. I was kind of, I've seen the first movie a lot. Yes. And watching it this time, I'm just kind of still, still kind of in awe of it. The fact that you can make a crowd pleasing blockbuster with brains and heart and all these things. And it's, it, it's just, it's just so good. It's unbelievably good. There's some, uh, there's some great sword fights in here. I think, uh, the one where Jack and Will meet and they have a sword fight through the blacksmith is great. It's, I, re- it's I really, really like that because there's um, there's bits of swords clashing in time to the music, which I yes. always like. Yes. Well, can we can we actually talk about the music a little bit? Yes. Just just as a side point, because we'll get back to this because I, I do want to say about the sword fight, but the soundtrack is it's amazing, awesome. I mean, I'd <laughs> say that you've probably got throughout the certainly through the, the trilogy you've got probably four or five recognizable distinct tunes that you sort of you can hear on you know on the radio and think that's the Pirates Caribbean and they're all belters yeah 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 um and it's, it's one of those songs that uh the the, the main one um you, you hear it and it sort of really gets I don't, uh, uh you it's a really, no, it's not a feel good song, but it's a really energetic. Um, it's oh, kind yeah, of like, it, it's, it's it like pumps the Star you Wars up. Tune. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like it's like this, the main Star Wars thing that I really didn't enjoy. The and you know, spoilers for if you ever talk about Star Wars, that the most recent Star Wars film was rubbish, apart from whenever they played the fanfare, and then you think, oh, yeah, it's brilliant, but I think it's possibly a nostalgic thing. But I get that with um, with with the Paris Caribbean thing that you hear it and you forget about the films that aren't necessarily as good because it's such a good tune. I think it bypasses the logic centers. I think that's why advertisers use all sorts of different music because it sort of bypasses the brain part <laughs> and just go and, and kind of hits you in the chest or whatever. You know, it's 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 one of those things that yeah, it's the same for me. Like, you know, the Indiana Jones thing or yeah. Star Wars or James Bond or, or something like that. It's that it's those classic themes that just kind of pump you up and just like, yes. And Pirates of the Caribbean is one of those. I'd say it's one of those a couple of times over, I think, because there are some, like the Elizabeth and Will romance tune is, is good. Yeah. There's... Yeah. It, it's, it's really, really good. And the fact that it was kind of basically a gladiator cast off. Also. Yeah. If, if you, um, the, there's the, because Klaus Bedelt, I think, is the is the producer uh, is the uh, composer on this one, and uh, and he's a Hans Zimmer kind of understudy or whatever. Well, Hans Zimmer did the um, produced it, so he right. was heavily involved. Yeah, so yeah, they 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 kind of worked together or whatever. I don't know the actual kind of thing, but in Gladiator, if you watch Gladiator now and you've got the opening battle. Uh, there is a bit that goes like and it, it it really sticks out now you know with the knowledge of Pirates of the Caribbean but it it's there um and the fact that they sort of kind of refitted that re-engineered it into the whole thing and came up with a bunch of other amazing tunes is uh is truly truly something to uh give credit to because uh, it it elevates things definitely. It's it's like Star Wars wouldn't be the same without the music. 
Well, I, was, um, I read ages ago um, that there hasn't, those, and I don't agree with it, but there's an argument that there hasn't really been a decent film tune theme. You know, scores are good in general, but there's not been like a sort of a standout theme since 2000 that wasn't written by John Williams. Because it, it's like, if you could get someone to whistle the theme tune, then that means it's kind of entered the, le the popular lexicon. Um, was that or, was that every frame of painting? Was that the there was a YouTube video they did? Uh, no, I don't know what that is. Oh, okay. Well, it, that's worth watching actually. Uh, I disagree with it as well. But they talk about the Marvel symphonic universe, and they're talking about how Marvel doesn't the the sort of films don't really have a recognizable tune, and they do. It's yeah. just it's just not as pervasive or as kind of you know iconic as star wars or whatever but yeah, yeah pirates of the caribbean 30 40 years to, to enter yeah exactly culture. exactly exactly the pirates of the caribbean is definitely there you could play that theme to most people and they'd know what it was from it even sounds piratey it does so you know you'd be able to get that i'm sure even without your helpful impression of a pirate yeah I'm not going to do it again. I'm no, not okay. a performing monkey. Thank you, Jack. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And there are so many lines like that, you know, that that are so good. I like um, I like the snippets of uh, Spar uh, Captain Jack Sparrow's backstory. Um, yeah. The, well, I, two of my favourite early lines are, which I think has since been spoiled, are uh, when it just cuts to him. And I, I'm a fan of the sort of cut to, and you hear the end of a joke or like a, a story that doesn't really make any sense of, yeah. and then they made me their chief. Yeah. And clearly so you've never been to Singapore. And I love that it's kind of not explained. It's, it's like the Joker in the Dark Knight that you, he says, you know, he says how, how I got these scars. You never actually find out what it was about. Yeah. No, it, it is. It is so good. And it's, yeah, it's a properly complete performance. You feel like he's lived many years before yes, yeah. we catch up with him, you know, in Port Royal. So yeah, it no, it's 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 great. Yeah, and then they made me their chief. <laughs> I like the Apparently, running parallel. That was inspired Sorry. by the Fast Show. Was it? Yeah, he, Johnny Depp was a big fan of uh, Paul Whitehouse and everything like that, and and kind of sort of folded some of that into his character. Okay. I think he even appears in one of their sketches much, much later on, obviously. But, uh, but yeah, little tidbit for you, little Thank factoid. You. I like the uh, parlay running joke throughout the film. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of what I mean about the, the sort of metronome thing as well. The parlay thing keeps coming up. So that bit when you, the, the, uh, you know, whoever invented parlay and Sparrow says that would be the French. Um, on my DVD copy of it, there was always, you remember, there'll be a sl um, the, the sign on the back of every case that was something like there may be layers that trigger a slight pause during transition. Mm. There was always a slight pause just after that, which is like an extra comedic beat. <laughs> I'm always really surprised when I watch it on TV or whatever, and then it's not there. <laughs> I always thought, yeah, they give them a pause, but. Wow, that is such a specific thing to your DVD copy. I know. That's the thing, because you remember intonations, you remember timings of certain things. Once you've seen something enough, it sort of just becomes part of your brain matter. And and then you can sort of recite, you know, exactly how a line is going to be said. And yeah, so I could I could see that kind of wrong footing you each time. Um, that's that's great. 
one quote that I do tend to use from Pirates of the Caribbean on a fairly regular basis is Barbosa's and the Apples. <laughs> How many situations do you have that can warrant that? If you go around a shop. Oh, okay, you, yeah. If you're offering some, someone an apple. Your poor wife and kids. <laughs> <laughs> Can yeah, I say, I, I, well, sorry? no, shut up, Rob. It's my turn to speak now. You said you you had your apple bit. Now it's my bit. Okay. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I do have a bit, but you can go ahead with what you were going to say. I don't know what I was going to say. I was just going to say I like Barbosa um, in this film. I don't think I don't think he's a particular. Cool. Um, he's not. He's a likable villain. I think. Yeah. You can be a gentleman and shoot the lady. Yeah, and he. He has. I like the uh, disinclined to acquiesce to your request. Me you know, too. yeah, yeah. Barbosa has has something to him, uh, definitely. And, and the bit where the bit where he is shot, and then you've got that slow reveal as they drop that last coin into the chest. Yeah, I feel sorry for him. I do. Yeah, but he did get to feel something. He did. He got to feel cold. He did. The fight with Sparrow and Barbosa is excellent as it's just sort of in the background passing in and out of the moonlight. So they're sort of human and skeleton and human and skeleton. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's it's that sort of... Um, it, it's, again, character paying off because, obviously, Jack, he's... Now, this is the question, and again, sorry, we keep coming off the sword fight thing, but they say... I can't remember which Pirates movie it is, but they say about Jack Sparrow, does he... Does he kind of still coming? He just he just make it up. I think they Which, say that in, in in one of the later ones. Yes. Now, especially with Curse of the Black Pearl in mind, what's your take on Jack Sparrow? Is he thinking that far ahead, or is he just kind of flying by the seat of his pants? You know. Then he is um, the bit in the cave when he takes the gold. I like the bit of the skeletons uh, doing that, sort of passing it between his fingers. Uh, the coin yes. was rolling coin up and down his fingers. I like that bit. Um, I think then that was all, all part of the plan because it, he was talking about waiting for the opportune moment. Mm. Um, I think his vague ideas, I don't think he has a, a plan. He doesn't look like the kind of guy with a plan. Um, I think his, his attempted escape uh, from Port Royal, this all, you'll remember the day that you, uh, that you almost caught Jack Sparrow. That's all... Uh, off the cuff, as it were. Mm. He's rescued Elizabeth, and he, he grabs the rope, and he goes up, and it starts swinging. He swings around from the yard arm, and you have that shot of him yelling. Yep, that's Jack Sparrow to me, because he didn't quite think ahead, yeah. and and he's he's terrified by the new situation he finds himself in. Um, I don't think I don't think most of it's planned. No, I think my my take on it is that he's he's the ultimate opportunist he he doesn't let sort of things go by so you know when he when he discovers that will's surname is turner like he's not going to let that slip through his fingers because he knows where that's going to lead so he does have that planned out and the sort yeah. of manipulation of certain characters the way he kind of comes about um on on certain things is is definitely all planned but i think he's just he is lucky but he he knows an opportunity when he sees one and he will seize on it so you know again if we talk about the the sort of 
uh, entrance where he he walks. I was just, yeah, just going to say that about him. Yeah, an and, opportunity when he sees it and takes the coin purse. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, like it's just, it's just that's what he does. That's you know he he makes the most of a situation, and and while he may have some plans, doesn't always. And that's what makes him interesting. The fact that, you know, he does have kind of a legendary thing about him because Elizabeth's heard of him. And it, even Norrington has heard of him. <laughs> but you have heard of me. I like that line. I do as well. You know, so he is a legendary pirate captain. But, you know, he he kind of has bolstered the myth through good fortune and uh, adaptability, I think. And that's that's what makes him so good. Yeah, it's just because I want to establish that here <laughs> before we move on to other movies, because I, I think that your read on Jack Sparrow in Curse of the Black Pearl will maybe change as we go through, because mine certainly did. Okay. Oh, I will say as well, um, Kevin McNally, that's Mr. Gibbs. Yes, I like I like him. I like him a lot. He's so, so good. Uh, Lee Arenberg and Mackenzie Crook, obviously, as well. Very, very good. Uh, Zoe Saldana in the first yeah, one. Yeah, she had a really bad time on set. She did. And that's that's a real shame, because I would have liked to have seen uh, more of her in sequels. But, uh, you know, it's a shame that she faded into obscurity. <laughs> so, yeah, she's done all right for herself. She doesn't need the Pirates movies. <laughs> um, but uh, it's a shame that she had a bad time. Um, that's certainly not what you want to hear, especially when the results on the screen are so much fun. I like the breakout of Sparrow from the Hangman at the end. I like it when he's waiting for his um, uh, when he's waiting to be hanged. He gives a, a sort of a slight chuckle as they read as he as they read out a list of his crimes. <laughs> yeah. I also I also re- weirdly like the way Will shouts "Move." I don't know why. That is that is a bit weird. Um, I really like. It's one of my favourite like ends to a film. I like the way the fi- the film goes to black when he snaps the campus closed. Drink up, me heart is your hope. There's no weird pause after that before it cuts into the whole thing. No, it was only it was only one uh, <laughs> one pause. It added to the comedy. Yeah, in, in, in a lot of other things, it was irritating though, that little DVD pause thing. But um, yeah, in this, it worked. It added to the film. Yes. So I guess to round up, then we both. We have an accord. We are both fans of the Ghost of Black Pearl. Yeah, for what it is, I think it's it's pretty much a masterpiece. It's the sort of film you'd watch and think they don't make them like that anymore. Yeah. So, Parts Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. <laughs> Captain Jack Sparrow races to recover the heart of Davy Jones to avoid enslaving his soul to Jones's service, as other friends and foes seek the heart for their own agenda as well. It came out in 2006. It was directed by Gore Verbinski, written again by Ted Elliott and Terry Russio. Music this time was by Hans Zimmer. And in addition to the cast of the first film, it stars Bill Nye as Davy Jones, Stellan Skarsgård as Bootstrap Bill, Tom Hollander as Cutler Beckett, and Naomi Harris as Tia Delma. I'm always sort of fascinated by films that are shot back to back. I don't know why. I think it was it may be because the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It almost makes me feel like they're really committed to the film. Like when they go, we're going to film these two films back to back. Think, yes, it's going to be a good film. It's going to be a good story. It goes between the two of them because they sat down, they thought about it. Yeah, not always the case. Not always the case. But yeah, no, I know what you mean. It, it when when they film 
things back to back, you do think, oh, this is a this is an epic story that needs two films to tell. This is going to be good. Yeah, it still gives that impression, uh, despite there being lots of evidence to the contrary at this point. Uh, yeah, no, I know what you mean. And I think it's part of the, the whole marketing thing anyway, because they probably, if they were doing sort of sequels, they probably wouldn't have waited that long between the two things because they had the sets built and ships and everything, you know. Dead Man's Chest is is an interesting one because there are parts of it I really, really like. It's it's not a patch on the original. I think the original stands in its own tier. You know, up to, we're, we're talking about sort of lower down now but dead man's chest is definitely up there i think there there are certain certain kind of bad habits that creep in that the film series can't escape from but it has enough fresh stuff in there to to make it worthwhile uh, it's definitely over long i was i was kind of aware how yes long it was this yeah. time and i think it's just because you have all these storylines going on it's just floated there's so many MacGuffins. It's you know, Jack's you know. looking for a uh, for a key. Someone's looking for a map. Someone else is looking for his compass. Someone else is looking for Davy Jones. Someone's looking to get away from Davy Jones. Someone's yeah. looking for the pirate. Someone's looking for Jack. It's, uh, Will's looking for Elizabeth. Elizabeth is looking for Will. Yeah, yeah, and and that's that's part of the problem. You kind of Curse of the Black Pearl is it works because it kind of keeps things fairly simple. And I understand you've got to have an elevation of stakes and things are to get more complicated. And if you're going to go with the whole undead kind of thing, supernatural elements, then, yeah, pushing that, it makes sense. But as you said, there are so many different things, you know, just like, okay, who's on whose side now? Who's doing what? Okay, Norrington's back. Oh, okay. Uh, then Jack's doing that, but Will also—he's got his dad, and and it it becomes—it's a little much. Yeah, I will say that I love the additions of Tom Hollander and Bill Nye. Bill Nye's great as um, as Davy Jones. It's a crazy good performance. Yeah, and considering he's under you know prosthetic, not prosthetic, sorry, he's under um, CGI for all of it. Mm. It's it's so good. Um, and I think Tom Hollander is this sort of boss that Norrington could have been in the first yes. one, but wasn't yeah. because he's Norrington, you know? Yeah, because uh, you said Norrington was kind of constrained by his duty. Yeah, and well, that's the thing. In in the first one, he's like, to Will, like, he, he wants to save Elizabeth as well. You yes. know, do not make the mistake of thinking you're the, you're, you're the only man here who cares for Elizabeth. Yes. You know, it, but he's he's got to do things by the book. Whereas Cutler Beckett is a new breed of sort of uptight bureaucratic bastard, and uh, Tom Hollander definitely plays him with the sort of uh, smug aura that you want to sort of reach through the screen and choke him. Yeah. So he does fantastic work there, and let's not forget as well with with Davy Jones, you got to give props to the effects because yeah. even now, even now they look. Fantastic. Well, I think they did for the. We didn't really talk about them for the first film, but the um, the yeah, the uh, the skeleton crew in the first film still hold up now. The yeah, they part. used it. They used it sparingly in the first one. A lot of it was kind of at night. Or from uh, a distance. Which, yeah, which tends to hide uh, certain things. Yeah, it still looks good in the first one, and I really, really like the sort of the underwater thing as well. I think that really works for it because it sort yeah. of 
hides the rough edges. But you know, you've got Davy Jones in in broad daylight here with you know the all the tentacles and everything, and and him and his crew. The designs are so good. Yes, and so and, imaginative, and, and the way some of them sort of morph into the ship is good. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really creepy kind of uh, concept that. And who's who's your favourite of the fishmen? Uh, I haven't thought about it. Well, think about it. I'm asking you to think okay. about it. I mean, the, the only one I can you put me on the spot here. The only one I can really think of is the one uh, who loses his head on the island. <laughs> For some reason, I knew you were going to say him. <laughs> uh, he is good. I like him a lot. I like the Moray eel guy. Okay. The one. The oh, one the Hammerhead Shark guy was good. Yes, he's good as well. They're all good, really. But uh but yeah, so so that that whole thing is incredibly well done. And you know, we're we're talking about the the crew of the Flying Dutchman and everything. Like I I love Bootstrap Bill. Yes, yeah, he's quite a sympathetic character. Definitely. I mean, don't you want to give him a hug? A fishy hug. Well, yes. <laughs> don't you want to give him a fishy hug? I don't know. He did leave his kid to go pirating. He, but he's paid for that. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that, that kind of struck me this time is when Will is talking to him and he says about lifting the curse, and he knew doing that would condemn his father to die under the sea. Yes, that's true. Because he was, I'd never thought about it, but of course he was part of the cursed crew as well, or was he? Yeah, I don't know. He, he must yeah, have been. He was because that was why they needed his blood. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so then he was tied to a cannon at the bottom of the ocean. That's why he's got a starfish on his face. And and so when the curse was was lifted, he he drowned and got crushed all over again. That's hmm. a dark thought. It's a much darker film. It is. Are you I, thinking about the bit where the dude has his face sucked off by a kraken? No, I was thinking of the bit where at the beginning where someone gets their eyes pecked, uh, pecked out by a bird oh, and you yeah. see it from his point of view. Yeah. That's actually a Yeah, he's in the cage. He's like, yeah. ah, ah, and then you've got the crow attacking the camera. That's very violent. Yeah. It's a, it's a much darker uh, start than the previous one. Uh, Jack Sparrow's entrance. This one is okay. He's in a coffin. Which yeah. he shoots through the lid, and then uses the uh, the bone as an oar, which is all right. It's not it's not up there with the first one. No, for some reason they kept they kept kind of thinking, oh, we've got to have him make a grand entrance again. Yes. Again, it's the sort of it's the sort of uh, mistake that comedy sequels make. The sort of the same jokes but more. And it's just like you have that perfect introduction for the character in the first one. Just have a reveal of yeah. him now. We don't yeah. we don't need an entrance every time, but apparently we do. So yeah, it's 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 fine for what it is, but it's a little bit more conventional, and it, it doesn't. You know what does it tell us about his character? Well, nothing really. He doesn't like birds. He's yeah. resourceful. Well, I think <laughs> only that he's that he's in in an existing adventure. Like you said, yeah, him existing outside the film. Yeah. So. It, you know, it's yeah, it's fine for what it is, but it again, it's a little bit more generic. So I remember reading around the time when this film was released back in two thousand and six that they almost had to go back to the first film and look to see how they could turn it into a series. And 
like use lines and things. And obviously in this film, as, as we've said, we both like the line, then they made me their chief. In this mm. one, they go to the island where he is their chief. I don't he like is their it. chief, yeah. I don't like it. It no, sort of makes the world a bit smaller, I think. But it, it's it's the same. Pirates kind of got, I understand having references to, to old things, but it, it's when they make it official. So, you know, obviously one of the more famous lines in, in the first one is, but why is the rum gone? Yes. They can't stop banging on about the rum being gone. In the future, in in the sequels, yeah. why is the rum always gone? Yeah, and it's just like, yeah, it was a good line once. You know why? Why are you doing this again? Why is why is this the your go to for for this now? And it was like even even with the eventual Keith Richards cameo in the third one, I remember saying at the time, and I remember saying at the time because I read it on my site, <laughs> um, <laughs> but. Uh, it sort of makes the joke official. It's sort of like May the Fourth being Star Wars Day. Yeah. It it's fine, and yeah, okay, yeah, I get what it is, but but it's it sort of makes it a thing, and yeah, and it doesn't really. And as you said, you don't like it because it sort of it makes it feel a little bit too contrived, a little bit too kind of the world is smaller, and yes, you know, it's yeah. just yeah, I I fully get that. And and the the films can't kind of can't stop referencing themselves after a while, and it becomes like a self perpetuating thing. But yeah, yeah, it's it's weird that they sort of take that sort of throwaway thing because I'm sure that was the inspiration. Yeah, for the island. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, because there's another one then in the in the third film. Hmm. So yeah, it it sort of makes it a little bit less special. You know, you, you've got Zorbig in a cage made of bones, and I mean him. John, uh, Sparrow as a fruit kebab is okay. It's, it's quite a funny sight. Yeah, and you know, I I like the fact that he's sort of trapped in a role that he can't escape for for a while. You know, and and you know, it, you could argue it's good theming <clears throat> because they believe he's a god trapped in human form, and they have to release him by killing him in yeah. a ritualistic manner. You know, so so there's that, but it's it's a little bit too wacky, and there's no real weight to that sort of sequence. I mean, I understand so, but it's it, it's cartoonish. Yeah. Whereas the other film, the other film wasn't at that point. I think the only sort of thing that it kind of did was uh, when they end up on the rafters in the blacksmiths kind of thing. That was like the only cartoonish physics I kind of think of. Maybe. Him, you know, with the rope and kind of setting loose the cannon and like flying up and round. Yeah. Um, so this time there's a triple sword. Like you say, it's adding, you know, that would last time. Let's do it again. The triple sword fight between Sparrow, uh, Turner, and Norrington. I think um, it's the best fight of the series. Do you really? Yeah. I think it went on too long. Well, it does a little bit because you start on the beach and then move up through the watermill and then onto the wheel. Yeah, but I think that that the problems with the sort of story are kind of encapsulated in that moment as well. Do you remember Pintel and Regetti on the beach? Uh, and Regetti yeah, has then. to has to tell Pintel what's going on and who's fighting yes. who yeah. because when, of why. When, when yeah, a, when a film has that. Oh yeah, 
that they yeah, something's not going right. They've either got A, no faith in their audience, or B, no faith in their actual story, or C, all of the above. And and that's the kind of thing I like. But again, you get flashes of the sort of old Jack there. Like I like where Norrington corners him and he says, excuse, you know, excuse me, I'm just about to end the man who ruined my life. And he goes, let's just examine that for a moment. And uh, and then makes Norrington realize that it's actually Will. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's so good. So, so yeah, and it is, it is kind of ridiculous, but it, the right side of ridiculous, I think. And and yeah, it does go on for a bit. For sure. I do like it when the water wheel takes out um, some of Davy Jones's uh, soldiers. Yes, crew. Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a, a few instances in this film. I can't remember remember if it's in the others, but there's like a fixed rotating camera. Oh yeah, they have that sort of like fixed to like one of the sort of inner arms of of the wheel, so it yeah. t- turns as the wheel turns. I don't like it. No. <laughs> no, it's a bit disorientating, but I suppose that's the point. But yeah, you know, I like the fact that Norrington and, and Will are kind of duking it out on the top, and Jack has his own battle with a nail in the inner bit. With the, you know, so it, it's it's good. I I do think it's the best fight in the series. What do you make of the change in, in relationship between Will and Elizabeth, and Will and Jack? <sighs> do you mean like sort of that? They they kind of play fast and loose with like oh does Elizabeth love Jack? Yeah, I don't like that. No, I don't. I and I was never convinced by it either. No, no. It's a it's a bit weird. It it it's like let's just add some stakes. Let let's just add some problems for them. And I understand you know conflict is drama etc. But it doesn't really I, feel I, learned. Um, no, the particular, particular fact that they. Yeah, they're now both having spent the previous film risking their lives and reputations to save Jack. They're now completely against it. Yeah, it's odd. It 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 is an odd sort of uh, decision to have that in because you think that they would be more united as a team, but they're kind of not. They're kind of on separate paths. Um, I I I think Will sort of prioritizing his dad certainly makes sense and, and and sort of him like playing the side and, and and elizabeth kind of not liking that that that's a cool thing but that sort of weird sort of subplot they have where oh there might be something between elizabeth and jack is completely unnecessary and and it and it drags because you just think oh and another fucking storyline yeah you know you've already got about 30 up until that point it's just it's too much i think some films can handle all those multiple threads and they can weave them into a fantastic work of art but this is not a fantastic work of art to say the least oh, here's my question to mm-hmm. you do you understand how liars dice is played uh vaguely yeah i think, I think you have uh, a number of dice and you're you're saying that on the board there's going to be five threes and you say no, it's not. It's going to be six. And I say, okay, call it. And if there's six, you win. If there's five, I win. Yeah, I kind of only know how to play that because of Red Dead Redemption. I never do that. In those, I, I don't like those little side things. But you got to take you got to take a break from murdering all the people. I don't. I just I, just, I don't take a break. No, I, just, I don't. I just love it too much. It sustains me. No, I just like the innocent. The murder of innocence sustains me. I, I, I just like wandering around on my horse. Yeah, but 
okay, here's here's a slightly different question. Do you feel the film does a good job of expressing those rules? I think so. Okay. Because I remember being confused by it initially. Yeah, but you'd only been 10 when this film came out. No, you wouldn't. You'd have been 20. Yeah, you'd have been confused. Yeah. (laughs) 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 I don't know where... What the hell are you on right now? <laughs> I say all this because I was basically setting myself up for an aha kind of thing, but you pissed all over that, so oh, I guess I'll have to... <laughs> I'm joking. There is a deleted scene, though, which I feel should be in the movie. To make it longer. But, kind, but yeah, but if it had more scenes like this, it wouldn't feel as long. It would be like the first one. There is a first round to the Liars Dice game. And Will challenges Davy Jones, as he does in in the finished film. But the first round is for his father's freedom. Okay. Which he wins. So Bootstrap Bill is free. And you have... It's so weird as well, because all the effects completed, including some really, really kind of, like, complicated work with Davy Jones smoking a pipe and sort of blowing the smoke out of a, like, side tentacle bit. Which which he does elsewhere in the film, I think. Yeah, but like you know, the, but what I mean is, is it's not just oh he's just standing there stock still or whatever. You have got the okay. tentacles going. They're, they're doing complicated things. So Will bests Davy Jones in the first thing, and Davy Jones walks away. He says like, "Congratulations, Mister Turner." Um, and then Will says, "How about another round?" And Davy Jones says, "You can't best the devil twice." And he said, "Well, why are you walking away then?" So he gets Davy Jones back to the whole thing, and then. So, because he he's riling him up, he's he's kind of making sure that he's got the power in that situation, and then okay. then he then you can see why Davy Jones gives up the fact that he's got the key on him, because you know then then Will lay, lays down the thing he wants, and it makes Bootstrap Bill coming in with the with with his kind of thing, saying I can't let you do this, a lot more tragic, because he had already had his freedom. Will had yeah. already won his freedom. So, yeah, it should be in the movie. And apparently, according to Gore Verbinski anyway, the reason the effects are complete is because uh, they were still waiting for sort of sets to be built and everything. So they they had to ship some footage off to ILM to get the effects work done. So they had to be working on something because it's, you know, it's like a production line. So they had to be working on something. So they, they sent that scene. But he did sound kind of quite pained in the fact that it was taken out of the movie. But yes, it would have made the film longer, but I think it would have cleared up a few things and made, given a lot more context to to that Dutchman scene. Yeah. So it's worth, it's worth looking up. Okay. So yeah, that's my, that's my deleted scene news. Yeah. Good. Good. Um, I like the organ music that David Jones plays. Yes. Um, I like his line of, I am the sea. Mm-hmm. I do as well. Uh, there's a weird, well, the, you know, I can do this all day line from, well, which uh, Orlando Bloom improvised. Well, there you go. Orlando Bloom should be Captain America. I know. But yeah, it's, it's, it's not a bad movie, um, but it, it's kind of a bit overstuffed. And I think it's sort of, you definitely feel the length you start feeling the kind of okay this is a long film the ship to ship fight at the end is good between the the flying dutchman and the black bill mm. um, i like the triple guns on the flying dutchman 
and I really like it when they call the Kraken and this everyone sort of down with the cannons in the back pill, it all goes dark as the tentacles cover the um, cover the, the holes. Yeah, it's definitely that the the Kraken thing is really that that image of those sort of giant kind of tentacles dragging a sea uh, dragging a ship under is like straight off an old school map, isn't it? It's great. Yeah. It's so so good, and yes, the the sort of darkness, the the sort of shadow that these massive things cast, um, is is great. Yes, I like the Kraken. And then you got Jack being a coward, but then coming back, which kind of felt a bit obvious. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was going to, wasn't he? he He's a good his, man. He does get his hero death and the Hallow Beastie. Yeah, well, Elizabeth's sort of weird betrayal type thing never sat right with me. No. Um, no, you know, I, she has a point. She she has a complete point that it, they're after him, yeah. not the rest of them, and forcing him to do a good thing. But it 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 just, yeah, it doesn't feel right. I mean, maybe it's not meant to. Maybe you kind of what don't want Elizabeth to act so out of character. You know, maybe that's that's the kind of point. But it it's a weird sour note for her character because it she's not nearly as well defined in this movie so you're kind of looking uh, for a a sort of character foothold i think she's given a lot more to do in terms of action beats in this film than the previous one yeah she's given way more to do i mean she has she has sword fights and and she threatens threatens beckett yes yeah but again you i think you she's not the sort of the governor's daughter and it well she is but you know she's not she's not beholden to that role anymore she's yeah. she's clearly on her own path to becoming some sort of pirate and and you want to kind of see more of that and and her sort of taking out the most likable character in in the whole thing feels like a bum note but you know i didn't make it you know i'm sorry if you thought you were doing a podcast with someone who was directly involved in uh making these movies but as i was only 10 at the time apparently um, I was unable to make the casting calls. So, Rob. Well, at the very end, um, they go back to Tia Dalma, played by Naomi Harris, who brings back uh, reveals that Barbosa is still alive. And he oh, has an yeah. apple, which is nice. He eats an apple. Yeah. Well, I I I really like Naomi Harris. Well, he I was like... there earlier in the film because when they visited visited her earlier. There's a bit where you see a pair of boots um, in another room. That's Barbosa. Ah, because that's why the monkey. That. That's why the monkey goes to them. Oh, that's, they, that's a nice little touch. They take her the monkey as a gift, an undead monkey. <laughs> yeah, look, yeah. an undead monkey. Yeah, <laughs> and she lets it out, and it runs behind the curtain, and sort of. I don't know whether he puts his paw on some boots or just goes and sits next to them, but it's Barbosa. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's a cool little moment. I didn't notice that. I will look it up next time. I hate myself enough to watch these movies again. So, we reach At World's End, Rob. So this is a film um, where they've got to go to a load of pubs in one evening. Yes, that is that is correct. And an alien invasion happens, and it's all hilarious. Okay, so at, Pirates of Caribbean, colon, At World's End, released in 2007. Uh, Captain Barbosa, Will Turner, and Elizabeth Swan must sail off the edge of the map, navigate treachery and betrayal, find Jack Sparrow, and make their final alliances for one dis- last decisive battle. It was directed by Gore Babinski, written by Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio, and music was again by Hans Zimmer. 
Yep. Karen Fat joins the cast, sort of, oh, yes. for a bit. Um, can I ask you a quick question? Uh, sure. What the fuck is up with the opening 20 minutes of this movie? Oh, yeah, it's dark. This is So, yeah, this one happens with lots of hangings, including a child. Yeah, a singing child at that. <laughs> the worst kind. The worst kind. I just, but it, I'm, I've always, I've always known that it's a, it's a really dark opening, and for for a Disney movie to have um, multiple hangings, including a child, including a child, is, is pretty not long after, is not long after out the, there. The, the Disney um, sort of opening logo with the you know the nice uh, castle. Oh, the previous film was the first Disney film to have the three D castle on. Oh, there you go. Nice little factoid. Yeah, and, um, then, they, and then Disney hang a child, and then they hang a child, and in the film. Uh, yeah, I, I and in the film. Um, so this this is uh, one of the weirdest tonally shifting openings I think I've ever seen to a movie. So you have the the mass hanging, which is meant to be unpleasant, but it's. In terms of cold open, it's, it's freezing. Yeah, it's sub zero. Um, there's a gag which I actually quite like because Elizabeth is singing the same song uh, in Singapore. Yeah, which is that the... which is that other one nod back to the first film. Clearly, yes. hasn't been to Singapore, so we spoil it by going to Singapore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and you have the Black Pearl crew wearing coconut things on their heads to look like a, a bunch of coconuts floating in the water. Yeah. Except Pintel, who doesn't need one because he's bald. Yeah. That's a visual gag that has passed me by, by many times. I think, and yeah, I only noticed I, I it only on this, this one. As well, yeah. yeah I, I, and, you know, I like that. But then you have that. They go into the sort of bathhouse thing. You meet uh, Xiaofeng. You've got a weird upskirt gag. Yeah. You've got... Um, then the the then there's an attack. One of the uh, Asian twins gets shot right between the eyes. We see that. That's great. Marty, the the dwarf pirate, he fires a big gun, and so he goes flying away because you got to have wacky humor in a, a scene like that. And then you have the monkey and the pirate doing some wacky shit. What the hell is going on? What am I meant to feel? I feel nothing. <laughs> uh, I just, I, it's so tonally all over the place. I, I get what they're trying to do, and I get that maybe they added these sort of wacky elements to sort of make the dark stuff more palatable, but it just comes across as sort of schizophrenic. It just keeps sort of wavering between the two things. I don't know what an upskirt gag has to do in this movie anyway. Yeah, it's a very strange aside, but I just it, I was kind of I always knew it was not the best opening, but watching it back this time, I was I was baffled, uh, and I wanted to know if you had had a similar reaction. I what I don't like about the opening is so in the previous film you've got this kraken as the you know this natural. Uh, enemy, this natural force of nature that, you know, can drag ships to the depth and, 
you know, they can't beat it. They tried and they couldn't beat it. How are they going to beat it? They still died off screen. <laughs> yeah, what's the, the Kraken yeah. died on the way back to his home planet. Yeah. Um, what well, Davy Jones was forced to kill it. I know that, but show it. I think that would be, and, and you, you know, you do have the bit where you can believe a fish will cry because he's in tears. But are you just entirely comprised of puns right now? <laughs> no, getting, there's so there's so much pottery going on. But you will believe a fish can cry. It's not a pun. <laughs> what? It, yeah, it's a reference, I guess. Yeah. Um, I, I generally, I've always hated the fact that they killed the kraken off screen. It just is such an easy cop out. Yeah. I like the image of it dead on the shore, though. Yeah, but you could have had that, because that comes halfway through the film. You could have had yeah. him given, the, you could have had him given, being given the order or sort of doing it or going to do it and then seeing it later. Mm. Um, no, I, it, it annoys me. That it's a cop-out. Because sure. in, the, in the second film, uh, where you see why Norrington's fallen on hard times and they talk about the, um, the hurricane, and I think Gibbs says, oh my God, you went into it. And mm. I like that, that you've not seen it, but you've kind of seen the effect, whereas this just feels really cheap. Mm. It does. But no, they've well, got to show more Asian ladies getting shot in the head. Well, and Elizabeth aren't speaking with no real reason. It's just, yeah. Well, I think, I think this film, if Dead Man's Chest felt its length at times, this film is a slog. I had to well, watch this in like two parts. This is the uh, most, at the time, it was the most expensive film ever made. Yeah. It apparently cost more than the Lord, the Lord of the Rings films combined. And all um, that money, and they still couldn't and afford I'd say it. And it feels longer than the Lord of the Rings films combined. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really... Uh, you know, we tend to take uh, Dead Man's Chest and At World's End, you know, because they were filmed back-to-back, -back, because yes, they've got yeah. that sort of thing. We take it as one, like, giant sequel. Yeah. But I think it is heavily weighted. The best stuff is in Dead Man's Chest. At World's End gets the sort of climactic stuff, but it's not nearly as good, and you've got a lot more meandering to get there. It's like like the whole thing. I have no problem, right, with with Jack being in Davy Jones's locker, and we've got the the multiple sparrows. See, I do have a problem there. It was like a Halloween party in the two thousands. <laughs> yeah, true. But I like the fact that he's sort of he's locked in there with himself over and over. I I like the fact that he's his own tormentor. In that in that way mm. because i do think i do think jack he loves himself at times but that's mostly bravado i think i think he is kind of he, he doesn't like himself very much or especially not at that point because you know i mean he was ready to sell out his supposed friends and crewmates and you know he just wants to kind of cut and run whereas you know he is an honorable man at the end of it that whole thing feels like just a weird art film with the, the sort of rock crab thing. I, yeah, the crabs thing is just odd. Yeah, I, I get it's it. Goes Calypso, on, it goes on kind too of, long. Yeah, it does. And it's just, I understand, I understand that it's meant to be otherworldly. I understand that it's meant to be this sort of like existential crisis that he's having, this, this sort of weird thing. But it just goes on for way too long. And the sort of multiple sparrows thing, it would be fine if half of them weren't so damn wacky. Why do we have to have a chicken one? Yeah. You know, and it, it's... And what annoys me about it as well is that I can understand the locker. If that was it, that was fine. But we come back to the multiple sparrows thing. In, in 
slightly different forms. But later on in the movie, when he's completely gone from that, it's so weirdly. I like in terms of the effects. I, I mean, I think they did that so you could have the what would he look like if he was part of David Jones's crew. Yeah, and I quite like that bit, and I quite like the bit later where he can't find his brain. Or, um, yeah, nobody move. I drop my brain. Yeah, I like that bit. So I get that that kind of is a callback to it. I, I see what you mean. It, you know I mean, I guess you're showing he's had some after effects of being in the locker. But yeah, it, I, it, I understand that it's to to sort of express his inner turmoil and everything. But maybe have the locker scene, and then when he's locked up, why do we have do we have to have the little Jack Sparrows hanging on yeah, the dreadlocks? Oh, yeah, no, it's, it's silly. It, it, like a good and a bad one. It's just yeah, it is like you like Jack Sparrow. Yeah, have hundreds of them. Well, it's it's so cartoonish, hmm. and and the films didn't start like that. And if well, you did, thought, have, you did have undead pirates. Yeah, but even then, it actually kind of it still grounded them with sort of realistic motivation and everything. Like, yeah. it, it's fine. You can have, you know, I mean, you get emotionally invested in Star Wars with Chewbacca. You know, he's he's just a he's just a, a space bear thing. Like, it you can make people care about the dumbest things, but you you gotta you gotta ground it in some sort of relatability or something for you to sort of grab onto, you know, something that you kind of feel again, it's, it's normally a sort of vibe you get from a character and that's why you like them. But this one kind of just takes leave of all that. And it, it's, it's yeah. Okay. Maybe let's say a bad cartoon then not a good one. I like that Barbosa is now part of the crew and is fully a good guy. I like the competition with Sparrow and Barbosa and their uh, telescopes. Yes. The one upmanship, the, yeah. uh, almost literal dick measuring contests yeah yeah that's that's cool jeffrey rush is mostly the mvp of these I've, I've, I've written about both through the mvp yeah he 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 is like a... i i think that's because in the um sorry to do a bend and cut across you um <laughs> i think that's because in the first film what made sparrow the best character was because he was used sparingly because he wasn't the main character he was one of the main characters, but he wasn't the focus. The focus was on Elizabeth and Will. In the later films, the focus is on Sparrow. So then Barbosa fills that secondary, you know, secondary main character, but not the mm. main focus. Yeah, that's actually a good point. Maybe it's just because he gets room to breathe, but not the entire film. Yes. So yeah, his his pirate shtick doesn't get old because we don't spend that much time with him, but enough that it's still fun to see him. There's a scene I really like, um, which is where you learn that Governor Swan has died, but you don't see him. I, I mean, I, obviously, I know I've just been complaining about the Kraken, but <laughs> I think it's such a great reveal that you see all these people in the boats and then you see uh, Elizabeth's father. Yes. And that sort of conversation where he's kind of a bit dazed and confused and her reaction, trying to get to him, they're trying to hold her back. I think that's, that's really well done. I think it's a very powerful scene, actually. I, yeah, I yeah. felt proper sorrow for that. Yeah, it was sad. And watching it back, you've got when uh, Calypso is explaining about the heart of Davy Jones, or or, or or it's being explained about the heart of Davy Jones. She uh, Calypso is staring at Will. I, I did. I, I didn't notice that. There's a lot of foreshadowing in these movies. Actually, that that is the one thing that they do do right. She's she's playing five D chess. She knows what's going on many levels. For anyone else, yeah. So I think I've seen this film. I get sorry to jump all over. I think I've seen this film a few, a few times. This is, I think, this is the first time I've actually watched it and understood that 
the the reason she brought Barbosa back was to free her, because it's just it's so much is just kind of this so much backstabbing and betraying and MacGuffins again and they've got to get nine pieces of eight or and I know it, it's so convoluted and so much is happening. It's only this time I thought, okay, that was why Barbosa was brought back was because he the deal was that he would free Tia Dalma or free Calypso. And give it back to the water. Yeah, I, well, I remember, I remember seeing this in the cinema and just being sort of like utterly dazed by it all because there was so much to try and keep up with. And then by the time that she turns giant and bursts into crabs, yeah, I, I was like, I what? Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, there there are certain kind of through lines that work, and and that does make sense. You know, it's interesting that the sword that ends up killing Will, at least you know, temporarily, is the one he made at the very start of the first film. Is it? Yeah, it's Norrington's oh, wow. sword. Okay. It gets given oh, back yes, to... Course, it yeah. yeah, it gets given back to Norrington. He becomes Admiral. He, get, Admiral, he gets the, the sword back. Yes. Um, He's then killed by Will's father. Yeah, then Davy Jones takes the sword. Yes. Yeah, yes, yeah. of course, yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, there there are certain things like that that, that work. Yeah. It's just it's snowed under with everything else, and and there are there are bits I really like. There are images I really like. I really like when they're in the sort of the sort of ice caps and everything. Everything's snowing, and that guy breaks off part of his foot. <laughs> um, I I like the sort of down is up thing where they flip the ship and and you know I mean that's visually stunning. An alternative title of this film was Pirates of the Caribbean, The Boat That Rocked. Oh. Oh. Proud of that one, are you? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> Which is weirdly known as Pirate Radio in other countries. Yeah. So we've come full circle. Down is up. Um, well, I, I like that you were disgusted with me and then you sort of tried really hard to bring you back on topic, so thank you. <laughs> well... Someone's got to pick up the slack. I don't mind the Mick Jagger cameo. Uh, cameo. He's I not in it. Keith Richards is. Is he? Yeah, it's Keith Richards. I don't mind the Keith Richards cameo. <laughs> I, don't know. They're all, they're all I was going to say, did I miss Mick Jagger? <laughs> I think they asked him to be in it, actually. No, they did. Uh, I read that. They, they the did ask, yeah. but he, he um, Yeah. I don't mind about the Keith Richards cameo. It's a nice little nod. It, and, it is. Look, I'm not saying I'm not saying that it, it was a bad thing. I just said it's a bit of a shame that they made it official. Yeah. Okay. I I think the actual thing because I I think the sort of did you notice it's Omidyar Lily who gets shot? No, I saw he's in the cast, but I, did, I didn't. Um, yeah, he's yeah. he's the one where he's the, he's the one speaking for the pirate who says like I've got none, you know, none of the time for the rules or whatever. It's Omidyar Lily. He has half a line and then gets shot by okay. <laughs> Keith Richards. So yeah, no, it, it it is a good cameo, and there is a couple of good gags, and it, it it is nice. I I agree. I but I'm not saying yeah, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that it's a little bit of a shame, a little bit of a letdown. They sort of make it more of a thing. I think that's what I was trying to say. So go and carry on because it, it is a good cameo. I, I quite like the pirate uh, council scene. Mm. Although they do that gag, I really hate. When two people are arguing and you've got the crowd going, hmm, one way and then hmm, the other. Like a tennis match. Yeah. 
it's so it's so played out. I mean, maybe kids will laugh at it, but only if they're especially stupid kids. If you're listening to this and your kids laughed at that, people at home, you got stupid kids. Carry on. So we make Elizabeth the Pirate King. Yes. It's a bit. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, I, th- I think she's been given much more to do in the in the sequels to the first one in, in terms of I think, action and agency. I think weirdly the person who has the most character shift is Will. And to be honest, of all the of all the characters, he's the one I I really care least about. Yeah, I'd agree. Well, he's, he's just a, he's just a bit of a bread sandwich, isn't he? Oh, the bit I didn't like at the end was the paragliding. Yeah, I got some nasty dine of the day sort of flashbacks. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that so, whole sequence, the 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 maelstrom kind of thing, I think it does a really good job of building it up. You know, oh, it starts to rain, and you've got oh, it's going to be a war between the pirates and and uh, the East India Trading Company. The East India Trading Company. Thank you. And you know, oh, they're building it up, and oh, wait, no, it's, it's oh no, it's a big fight now, Dutchman and and thing in a maelstrom, and I understand that it's two giant ships going around a whirlpool, but the physics make no sense, and I'm not a movie logic physics kind of guy, but when you've got clearly sort of green screen things of like Jack swinging on something, and there's there's no peril. There's no nothing. I really liked it. I thought it was uh, really... Do you? Because I, yeah. I really, it reminded me of Revenge of the Sith. It reminded me of the lightsaber battle between Obi-Wan and Anakin, which just, I understand why the characters are fighting. He had the high ground. It, yeah, it's because he had the high ground. They were fighting over the high ground. It just goes on and it becomes so ridiculous that I lose all interest in it. By the time they're swinging on things and having a lightsaber fight, in Rones of the Sith, I'm I'm done. I I can't be bothered. It's just okay, you know, I understand we're dealing with space lasers and everything, but it's it's too much. And and I I felt that while the sort of um while the actual sword fight between Jack and Davy Jones on the thing is cool, it's all the stuff around it that just it there is no peril. The random, random kind of crew members get kind of like die and fall and thing. There's no. They're never named, though. Are they? They're never. No. Never, never any of the ones you cared about. No, and it's it's just too. It. it I don't know. I, I. I'm. My words are failing me at this point. But I think I think that because of physics and everything taking a beating, my 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 kind of suspension of disbelief did as well. I'm I'm I understand how we got here. It's just I wish it wasn't so kind of CGI e and floaty. And some of it's unavoidable because you've got Davy Jones, but you know what I mean. And yeah, the the sort of parasailing thing as well. It was just like a that was a rancid cherry on top of the kind of shit cake for me. But you liked it. <laughs> so oh, well, the, okay. the, the, the site, yeah. The, the, the site, let the let me part. let me ask, because I tend to completely steamroll you with my opinion. And I shout you into submission, and then until you know, we have an accord. Until we have an accord, what do you like about it? Let me try and understand. I just thought it was a suitably epic battle. I found myself wishing that it kind of came later in the series that you'd be in it, that they would have been able to involve more people and more ships and things that you actually got to know. 
I like the bit with the hoister colours. That's quite nice. Yeah. The, the music's there's a, there's a ten minute song here called I don't think now is the best time, which is which comes in all the fighting and it's, it brings in like three or four of the of the themes theme music from Pirates Caribbean, which is when um, Elizabeth and Will are getting married. I quite like Barbosa marrying him on the on the ship. I like that bit as well. We are gathered here today to nail your gizzards to the mizzen mast or whatever he says. <laughs> Weirdly, puts me in puts me mind of the Latin three, the fact that they just can't get married when they want to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is the first Pirates Caribbean film to feature a pirate with an eye patch. Yeah, Rigetti. Mm. Um, um, and there's a, I don't know whether it's interesting, but um, do you know why he's called Hector Barbosa? Uh. It wasn't it like a Johnny Depp joke? That... Yes, Johnny Depp said that was his name in a um, in a DVD commentary for something for one of the films, <laughs> and people took it as real. So when they <laughs> they felt they had to call him Hector, originally it was just Barbosa. Hector Barbosa works though. Yeah, it's it really the longest does. running Disney film um, until it's replaced by Endgame. Mm. This somehow feels a lot longer than Endgame, though. Yeah, and think of, think of all the things that Endgame had to accomplish. And and the threads it had to sort of tie off and everything, and then compare it to this. Now, granted, you know, Endgame is standing on the shoulders of this. You know, we there have lessons been learned, etc. But like, again, it, it's it's sort of Endgame didn't feel bloated or baggy. It, it you know it had it pretty much everyone got a satisfactory sort of arc. Whereas in in uh, at World's End, it it's just it's just a bit all over the place. So yeah, it it's it's fine. There there are certain things that um, I really so I yeah I like the impromptu wedding. I think them. I funnily enough, I think that actually probably adds peril to the whole thing. The fact that they kind of realise they might not make it out properly. I think it is unusual uh, for a film like this that it doesn't end well for Will. Hmm. Um, and I really, really like Cutler Beckett's death. Yes, it, it was just good business. Yeah. As the ship explodes around him, as he, as the he walks slow motion steps. destruction mm. and him just like sort of, yeah, it sort is. of caressing the banister as he goes yeah. down, as it splinters behind him is fantastic. And yeah. it that whole sequence is great. And his body then landing on the East India Trading Company flag yeah. in, the, uh, in the water, that is a great character send off. That's I'm I'm constantly impressed with that little bit. He was a good character. He was he was, um, and, and again it was like the sort of properly evil Norrington. Uh, I felt and I felt Norrington's death in this one as well. Yes, it, it's definitely it's definitely kind of um, added poignancy with the fact that it's Bootstrap that kills him. But uh, yeah, no. So so there, there are a couple of things that it does way right. I was reading um, afterwards that the uh, Calypso is the, um, in the first film where Barbosa talks about the heathen gods um, cursing the gold. Calypso is almost bringing it full circle that he's released the heathen gods back into the sea. Ah, that's a good thought. It's not mine. I just read it somewhere. No, no. <laughs> if you'd have come up with that, I said that's terrible, Rob. You should yeah. be ashamed of yourself. The fact that someone else came up with it, I'm just like, yeah, no, that's decent. It's got merit. Do you find that the sort of scene? So you got the final scene where Will and Elizabeth finally make the beast with two backs. I was trying to think of a pirate way of saying bumping uglies, but I couldn't. 
he spends a long time on her leg. It's a bit weird. So he's looking for his other boot. She puts down her shapely leg. Let's not lie. Um, and then he kisses sort of up the leg, and then you get a sort of close up of her face, like enjoying the thing. I just, it, it's just a bit weird to me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I do. To be honest, I do. It was, by that part, it's already asleep. It's such a long film. <laughs> I think you're going to say by that point, my trousers are off. <laughs> Watch it again, but not with company. Um, what I've written down is final scenes with Will and Elizabeth touching, but slightly weird leg kisses. That's that's what I wrote down. Apparently, the green flash is a real natural occurrence. It's a refraction of light and a mirage. I didn't know that. There you go. You learn something new every day. Lubinsky uh, viewed it as uh, as the film was going to be it's meant to be the end of an era, like in a postmodern western where the railroad comes in and the gunfighter is extinct. Well, yeah. I mean, definitely the sort of they make that sort of explicit when they say about the age of pirates being phased out and everything. And I can I can sort of see at the end of that whole thing that it would be a whole shift. I will say with these, the one thing you can't criticize, at least they had ambition. Oh, yeah, yeah. They had a little too much ambition, I think. They clearly had mega budgets and, and you know, had had this whole thing, but it's it's too much. It's too much for two films, um, and and it, it it's rather indelicate in the way it goes about it. In some ways, I think you've probably got an excellent film if you cut it down to three hours. But then I do quite like the epic nature of it. I yeah, like, and it it gets that feeling definitely. Yeah, I like I like the uh, the fact that there's a cliffhanger between the two films. I I, I like that it is. It it feels like at the end of a long journey, but I'm just. Yeah, the journey was a bit too complicated. Not as in I didn't understand it, but in a kind of... Yeah, there's just so much happening. Yeah, well, it's like getting to Return of the King and, and you know, you've got that sort of... That slight that sort of slight story fatigue, but you want to see how it all ends and everything. But sort of Pirates has been sort of keeping you at arm's length for the most part. And so you're not actually feeling a lot of these twists and turns you're just kind of becoming a bit numb to it becoming a bit sort of white noise-ish and and yeah so it and it is tough to get through man i mean jesus i'd like actually actually having to stop halfway through because i was just like oh, i'm gonna fall asleep by the end of this <laughs> so you know yeah it's uh it's rough oh speaking of rough the dog's coming <laughs> uh, just, just, uh, just thinking. So, getting on a bit late now. So, should we call it there for now, and then yeah. come back and do part two? Okay. So, so this is uh, this is it for part one of our Pirates Caribbean uh, franchise fatigue. Join us next week for part two. Thank you very much for your time, and thank you for listening. We'd love to have your feedback. Please email podcast at thepopcornbucket.com. You can find us over on Instagram at popcornbucketpod or over on Twitter at popcornbucketpd. You can use the hashtag TPBP if you're able to. It would be great if you can rate the episode wherever you listen to your podcast and subscribe and share. Many thanks. Take care and see you next episode. Yar, what he said. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> I was sort of psyching myself up for it as you were doing it. I was like, okay, now's the perfect time for the pirate voice. <laughs> Okay. <laughs>